Hi, my name is Chris Bell, and I'm the lead pastor here at Three Circle Church here in coastal Alabama and joining you online all over the world. And from wherever you are joining us right now, I want to welcome you. Welcome to our Easter weekend as we celebrate what we believe is the truth. In fact, we believe it's the greatest truth that humanity has ever known. And it's this, that God Himself came. He came. He came as a man. He became a human for us, 100% God, 100% man. And His name is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And then He died a uh, atoning death on the cross. And then He was buried in a grave for three days. And then He bodily resurrected from the grave. We believe that those truths constitute what we call the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we will believe on Him, we will be saved. That's the good news I bring to you today. Now, I know you live in a world with a lot of bad news right now. I know you're tuning in from wherever you are, and if you're like me, you see 24-7 the stories of all the bad that's going on around us, all of the evil, the wickedness, all of the, the tough things. Uh, we're on the hills of a global pandemic that seems like it just won't end. We've got strife, whether it's racially or politically, all over the world. And yet, here we are on Easter weekend still celebrating something that we believe happened 2,000 years ago. And we believe that it's something that all of us can rejoice over. Certainly those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, but my hope is today as you join us, that if you've never believed this great story that we're going to talk about today, that today you will believe it and that it will change your life. That's our hope and our prayer. You see, I want to talk to you today about why the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that thing we celebrate on Easter, why does it matter? Why does an old story from 2,000 years ago, why does it matter to you? Why should it matter for me? That's what we're going to talk about today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.
So why should the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter to us? Why should the events from a weekend 2,000 years ago have any impact on us today? Well, I want us to talk about that, and I hope by the end of our time together, you will come to the same conclusion we do, that the events of that weekend around this person, Jesus Christ, actually is the most important thing any of us could ever know and ever believe. So the first thing I want you to understand is that uh, his death and his burial and his resurrection should not have been a surprise to the people around him. It seems to have caught them off guard, but he had actually told them several times exactly what was going to happen. In fact, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 18. The Bible records this. When Jesus was still walking with his disciples before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, he said this, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. That's pretty stunning, isn't it? Jesus, just a few weeks before he would die, predicted his death. Not only that, he gave them details about how it would all go down. And yet it still caught everyone off guard. But the truth still remains. Jesus was not out of control. Uh, when the Romans put him on the cross, when his own people, the Jews, had him arrested and put him on trial and then handed him over to what he called the Gentiles here, the Romans. Uh, that Jesus was never out of control. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He gave his life willingly for us. Uh, the book of John chapter 3, verse 16 says, God so loved the world he gave his only son, his only begotten son. There's no other. There's only one, Jesus. He gave him so that all of us who believe in him would not perish but we would have everlasting life. Jesus actually said before he died, before he raised him from the dead, he said exactly what he would do. But I also want you to understand the, the epic scope, the sweep of the story, if you will, the historic implications of it. Because the story, the, the events of the weekend of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus didn't just start that weekend. This was a story that had its beginnings. It was all put into motion actually at the very beginning of creation, according to the Bible, uh, we have to go to the book of Genesis, into the Garden of Eden, where the, the, biblical, the biblical account uh, tells us how everything started. If you want to know the origins of humanity, you go to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, you actually see the foreshadowing, the foretelling of what Jesus would do for all of us. To see that, let's go there now to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. This is what has happened at this point. Adam and Eve are the first humans. Adam and Eve, man and woman. They are married in the garden. They are husband and wife, and they live a sinless existence. We believe that there's only been three perfect people who ever lived, but two of them didn't stay perfect. And that is Adam and Eve who fell in sin, we're about to see, and then Jesus who never sinned and gave His life for us uh, ultimately on the cross. So Adam and Eve... Uh, listen to the lies of a serpent. What we understand from scriptures is that Satan himself actually embodied one of the pieces of God's creation, which was a serpent. We don't know all the details, but the Bible seems to imply that before this all happened, the serpent actually had legs and would have walked around and was a normal creature. Uh, but there's going to be a curse placed on both the animal, the physical creature, and the spiritual creature behind all of this, Satan himself. And so Satan, embodying a serpent, comes to Adam and Eve and entices them 
to go against God's commands, and they do. They disobey God, and they, what we call, they fall in sin. And the Bible tells us that immediately there was death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what it is. And you need to understand that when Adam and Eve fell, they didn't die physically immediately, but they died spiritually immediately. And because they fell in sin, the Bible tells us that every single one of us are born that way. We are born sinners. We're born actually away from God. We're created by Him, but we are not children of God until we come to Him through Jesus Christ. That's where the story began. And this is how it went. After all of that happened, God comes into the garden to meet with Adam and Eve, like He always did in Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, that's the result of sin. They had never wanted to be away from God, and now suddenly they're hiding from Him. Why? Because sin causes a type of death, a spiritual death, a separation from God. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me uh, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. See, right in the beginning, not only did sin cause separation with God, it caused conflict between humans themselves, between man and woman. Here Adam's trying to blame it all on Eve. So verse 13 says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And now we get to the serpent, our spiritual enemy Satan himself. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now let's take a few moments to explore this amazing group of verses that we just read. So these verses we just read are known in theological circles and church circles as what, what we would call the first gospel. Remember, the word gospel really means good news. And the gospel is detailed for us in the New Testament. And what we celebrate this weekend with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we understand what the gospel was all about. But if you want to know where the seeds of the gospel began, if you want to know where it all started, it's here in these verses in Genesis. Because what we see here is a curse is put on both humanity and on the world and here on the serpent, the physical serpent, the snake, and on uh, the spiritual serpent who is Satan. And you see this curse taking place, but in the middle of all of this negative, all of this bad that you see in this story, there is a ray of hope. And it's right there at the end. Let's look at it again, that last verse. It says... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, that he, is Jesus Christ himself. He shall bruise your head. Your, that's Satan. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. You see that? In the middle of this curse is the ray of light. It's the crack in the door, if you will, that Jesus is going to walk through. There was the plan. This is the first gospel. And what you see here, as always with the gospel, is the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a religion. It's not just a philosophy or a mode of conduct or a behavior modification, a set of rules that we all try to follow to be better people. No, no, no. The gospel ultimately is about a person. You see this here. It says, He will bruise. 
your head and you will strike his heel. It's all about a person. And I want you to understand today that we are not here to just tell you a better way to live. Today, Easter Sunday, is not about us celebrating this new level of mental and spiritual achievement that we've all reached. No, this is about a person, a person who came, a real historical person who came, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, and raised bodily from the grave. We celebrate that today because He is not just a hope, He is our only hope. His name is Jesus Christ. And today what we're going to see as we look at this story in these verses is that Jesus Christ is the king who rolls stones and crushes snakes. Today we're going to see that Jesus is the great snake crusher of all time. He rolls stones from graves and he crushes the snakes who attacked him and attacked us. Let's explore how Jesus is the roller of stones and the crusher of snakes. So the first thing we see here is the idea of a snake. Now I don't know about you guys, but I don't like snakes. I don't like them at all. I grew up in the swamps of South Mississippi. My grandfather had a bunch of land and I played around ponds and rivers. We lived very close to the Escataba River, so we had a sandbar there. I, my pool was the river and, and my fishing spots were uh, lakes and streams that came off of that river and my grandfather's own ponds and lakes that he had on his property. And so there was water all around and, and every time I went out to play as a kid, there was one thing that was always uh, told to me. I was always reminded. And what do you think that was? Watch out for snakes. Watch out for snakes because they were everywhere. Literally, I could ride down the road and look out into the water and ditches and swamps around where I lived, and there would just be snakes everywhere. In particular, we had these water moccasins. And if you know anything about the Gulf Coast where I live, water moccasins are deadly, and they're also very aggressive. I literally have seen water moccasins actually go after people before in the water. They're that aggressive, all right? So I know all about them, and I don't like them. And do you know what I know? I know that there is a natural fear of snakes with people. Most people just don't like snakes. In fact, there was some research done one time, and this is amazing, but what they did is they wanted to, to decide just what happens on highways. So what they did is they took a bunch of fake turtles and put it on roadways and highways and set up cameras, and then they also put a bunch of fake snakes on these roads as well, and they filmed them at different times. Now, here's what was interesting about this, all right? People would slam their brakes, drive off the road, do everything they could to avoid hitting the turtles. So they concluded with the study that most people, when a turtle gets killed on the road, it's almost always an accident. No one wants to kill a turtle. So people will do whatever. They, they had video of cars swerving, putting themselves in danger so that they did not hit the turtle. But then they put the fake snakes on the road. And do you know what they found? They had video footage of people not only going out of their way to hit the snake, but they had video footage of people running over the snake, putting the car in reverse, backing back over the snake, and then going forward and hitting the snake again. You know what they concluded? They concluded that when you see a dead snake on the highway, it's almost never an accident. They concluded that turtles probably hardly ever get hit on purpose, but snakes, when you see a dead snake on the highway, someone meant to do that. And what this, what this tells us is there's always been this curse on snakes. What we see is what God did physically, and He does this a lot in the Scriptures, is God gave us a forever physical symbol in our world of the, of the downfall of humanity with sin and the fact that we have 
a spiritual enemy. So God in this curse looks at the snake itself, that part of creation, and he says from now on you're going you're gonna to be on your belly. Forever and ever you're going you're gonna to crawl on your belly. And to this day that's how snakes roll, right? And, and there's this enmity between us naturally with snakes. Okay, It just proves itself out. But then there was the, smear, the, the, the spiritual snake. And that's Satan himself. And I want you to understand today that we don't believe Satan is a cartoon character. We believe that he is the real deal. That we have a very real Savior. We also have a very real spiritual enemy. His name is Satan and he's right there in the garden. And he hates you and he hates me. And he hated Jesus. But the Bible tells us that the curse that is placed on Satan is his ultimate defeat. That he will ultimately be defeated. And that yes, he will bruise the heel of the King, the Savior, Jesus, the Messiah but that Jesus would ultimately crush his head as the king who crushes the snake. So what happened on that weekend 2,000 years ago? Well, it started with the bruising of the hill of the Messiah, the trial, the beatings, the torture and the death of Jesus Christ. Let's take a few moments right now to remember just what Jesus did for you and I. So as we look at these verses in Genesis that kind of gives us the origin stories, not just of humanity itself, but of this war between us and the evil in the world, the fall of man, and also the traces of the light of the gospel and the future, the good news of Jesus Christ coming for us. Right there in Genesis, Genesis in the beginning of the Bible, what we see is that God predicts and He says, you will bruise His, Jesus, you will bruise His heel. And we know that that happened. The Bible tells us in all of the Gospels that Jesus Christ was arrested. He was arrested by the Sanhedrin. He was placed on trial in the middle of the night. And even there, uh, the beatings began. They beat Him. They pulled His beard out. They abused Him. They spit upon Him, just like Jesus predicted. It was humiliating. It was physically degrading. It was also torturous. And then, because they could not execute Jesus on their own because uh, they were a group of people underneath the dictatorship of Rome, they had to hand Jesus over. So they took Jesus first thing the next morning to Pilate. As Jesus said, he'll be turned over to the Gentiles, right? And they take him to Pilate, who was a brutal governor. Uh, Pilate was absolutely brutal. He was known for his brutality. In fact, he had caused lots of riots and problems because of his brutality against people. So that's who Jesus ends up being handed over to. And the Romans didn't play games. And what we know is as he was placed on trial, uh, Jesus is eventually, as he said, flogged. Now when he said flogged, maybe you don't know what that means, but in the Roman world, a flogging was something that could often be a death sentence. They used a tool called a flagrum. Uh, Some call it a cat of nine tails, but truly a cat of nine tails came way later. This was a device that they created where they could either kill a man with it or they could take him right to the edge of death. And they had two different soldiers that would stand on either side of Jesus as they raised his hands either over his head or bent him over a post and tied him to it. And they then began to beat him. These were handles with leather straps with pieces of bone and lead embedded into the straps at the end so that it would tear and grab and rip away at the skin and muscles of the human body. That's what Jesus was subjected to. Now, the Jewish people had a law where a person could only be flogged so many times. The Romans didn't have that law. So they could hit Jesus as many times as they wanted until they decided that they had gotten him almost to the point of death. That's what they did to Jesus then if that wasn't enough to both humiliate him 
and further torture him, they put a purple robe on his naked and bleeding body so that it would dry onto his body, and then they would put a crown of thorns on his head. And then they beat that crown of thorns into the crown of his head with a stick that they acted like was a king's scepter. This was all to humiliate Jesus mentally, also to torture him physically. And then, and then came the crucifixion. And then they indeed, with Satan behind the scenes the whole time, Satan trying to deal the death blow to Jesus, they took Jesus and they did what Romans did when they crucified someone. They made him carry his cross as long as he could, but he was so beaten and, and so weakened from his torture that he couldn't carry it the whole way. So they got another person to carry him out. And the story, the horrific, horrible story of the crucifixion of Christ, as they stretched the arms of the Savior across a crossbeam and nailed him to the cross with Roman spikes. They then hoisted him up into the air and then nailed his feet to that cross, bending his knees just far enough to where he could push himself up and down the cross to take breaths of air so that it would last longer. But Jesus lasted just about six and a half hours on the cross, eventually not bleeding to death but asphyxiating because as soon as he could not push himself up the cross anymore, he would be no longer able to breathe. His lungs and his heart filled with, with, with fluid and water, and he died on the cross. And that is horrific. And the Bible told us it would happen. The Bible says Satan will deal a blow to Jesus. But what we understand from the Bible is that a strike at the heel, a bruising of the heel, while painful, while damaging, is not fatal. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I thought that Jesus dying on the cross was fatal. I thought he died, and he did die. But the beauty of this story that we celebrate every year, and it means so much for us, is that it ultimately was not a fatal blow. Jesus, three days later, would rise again. And in what he accomplished in his death and what he would do in his resurrection would actually deal a fatal blow to Satan and to the works of Satan and into all of his plans. Jesus, while was, he was bruised for our transgression, bruised by Satan, that heel. You need to understand that Jesus is the one who ultimately crushed the snake because the cross, thank goodness, was not the end of the story. In fact, look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, through the crucifixion, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What this means is Jesus not only accomplished something in the resurrection, we're about to get to that, but even in his death, what he accomplished by breaking the curse of sin, by taking our place, by paying for our sins and making a way for us to be made right with God, Jesus doing that dealt the first death blow, the crushing of the, the head of the snake. That's what Jesus did for you and I. And thankfully, not only did he overcome in his death, but we're about to see that Jesus also overcame in the power of his resurrection. So now what we understand is indeed, just like it was predicted in the book of Genesis, just like Jesus predicted, Satan would strike at the heel of the Savior. And he was crucified, brutally died but then we know that three days later, three days later, he rose again. And can you imagine what those three days were like? 
His followers, we know from the Scriptures, were dismayed. They were distraught. They thought it was all over. And many of you are joining us today from somewhere in the world, and you have felt the same way. You have felt like your life has no hope. You have felt like there is nothing for you to hang on to. But we are here to tell you today that because Jesus died and then rose again, you and I can have hope as well. See, the Bible not only tells us as believers that that we have a Savior who died and rose again and that we celebrate what He did, the Bible indicates that we participate in His death and resurrection. We participate in the victory. The victory that Jesus won, He won that standing in our place, meaning that we get to take part in the placing under our feet of our ultimate spiritual enemy, Satan himself. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. It says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In other words, Jesus' victory over Satan is also your victory and mine. And see, if you're like me, you don't like snakes. But I bet even worse than you hate the physical snakes in this world, I bet you hate the the impact that sin has had in your life. And I bet like me, you've had things that have been hard for you to overcome. And at times you have thought that you simply could not be the overcomer that God says you can be. But the Bible tells us that Jesus put the snake once and for all under his feet and crushed his head with his death and his resurrection. And today we celebrate not just that it happened for him, but that he says that that is true for us as well. The Bible tells us that we can have victory over the enemy. It started with the cross. It started with the fact that now because of Jesus, you and I have a pathway to being right with God. We don't have to stay in our sin. We don't have to stay bound and in slavery, as the Bible just said, to our past. We can overcome. And the snakes, if you will, that Satan has unleashed in our lives of addiction and shame and sin and wrath and judgment... All of those things were defeated on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you place your belief, your faith, your hope in Jesus, these things become true for you. The victory of Christ becomes the victory of all of those who believe in Him. Satan and all of his works, his weapons and his attacks on us are under our feet. Why? Because they are under the feet of Jesus Himself. That's why we celebrate today. Yes, we celebrate that He died and rose again, but we also understand as believers that that victory is our victory as well. He won the battle for us, and we praise Jesus for that today. In fact, 1 John 4 4 says this. It's really good news. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. Watch this. For He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. See, Satan, all he can do is strike at the hill. But Jesus crushed the snake. And when He rolled the stone away, He was crushing the head of the snake. And I want you to understand today that Jesus is still the king today. He's still the king who historically rolled the stone and crushed the snake. And He's still today the king in our lives every day who can roll the stones away and crush the snake. Because I bet there's a lot of things in your life that you thought were hopeless, dead, like it's been put in a grave and there's no hope. But I'm telling you that I've watched My whole life, in my life and others, Jesus be the king who rolls away stones away from tombs and brings things back to life. I've watched him bring families back to life and marriages back to life. I've watched him bring people that were on the brink of losing everything back into a right standing with God, into joy and fulfillment in their lives. I've watched it happen over and over again. Why? Because he's the king who rolls away the stones. 
And let me tell you what else. I've watched the same Jesus who rose from the grave. I've watched him change lives. And I know that he changed mine. And I know that he has helped me overcome the enemy in my life. The snake is under our feet. The curse has been broken all because of Jesus. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now your enemy will make you want to believe that darkness is all you're ever going to experience. But but I invite you today to be reminded on this Easter that the light of the gospel is the light for you as well. It's something that we not only celebrate. We don't just celebrate Easter. We experience Easter. We don't just celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We experience it, like really experience it in our lives. We walk in that power. So today, why does the resurrection matter to you and to me? Why should it matter? Why do we celebrate? A couple of reasons. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus proved the faithfulness of God. It proved that He was trustworthy. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So He's given us hope. And this world is hopeless without Jesus. But the Bible says here, we have a living hope. Why look? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why can I have hope that I can overcome? Why can you have hope that this world isn't all that there is and that no matter what happens tomorrow or the next day that you can still hang on to your hope in Christ. Why? Because there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem to this day and that Jesus Christ not only died, but He rose from the grave. Secondly, it validated everything that Jesus ever said. You understand, we read it earlier. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me, torture me, crucify me. They're going to kill me. And I'm coming back in three days from the dead. If Jesus was not resurrected, then everything else He said can't be true. And you see, there's a lot of you here and a lot of people in the world that would say, well, I believe Jesus was real and I believe He was a good man. But you you have to deal with the fact that if Jesus claimed and He did over and over again that He would die and raise from the dead and He didn't resurrect and if He didn't come back from the grave, then Jesus is a liar. Then Jesus didn't tell the truth. Paul himself said in the New Testament, that if Jesus did not come back from the grave, if He was not resurrected, if there's no resurrection, then He said our faith is futile. It is worthless. It's useless. And He said that we should be pitied above all pity to believe such a crazy story. But the Apostle Paul said, indeed Jesus did rise from the grave and because He was resurrected, we have a living hope. So now, since Jesus did what He said He would do, we can believe everything else He said. We can believe that we do have power over Satan. We can believe that there is hope no matter what. We can believe that we don't have to worry and don't be afraid. Yes, everything Jesus said is true. We can believe He is going to return. We can believe that there is life after death. We can believe that there is a heaven prepared for us. We can believe every word He ever said because He did what He said He would do. And then finally... The resurrection matters because it proved the awe-inspiring, ultimate, stone-rolling, snake-crushing power of Jesus. Romans 8.11 says that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It proves the power of Jesus, not just to resurrect Himself from the dead, but to resurrect us. We have life because Jesus is alive. Because He's alive. We are alive. So today, 
That's why we celebrate the resurrection. And if you are joining us right now and you don't know Jesus, you never placed your hope in Him, the Bible says that if you will believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is and that God raised Him from the dead, that you will be saved. And I pray that today you will believe upon this Jesus of the Bible for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, and so that you can crush the snake once and for all. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're joining us, but you needed to be reminded of this hope today, I pray that you will not walk in shame and darkness anymore, but that you will place the snake under your feet and all of his works and all of his weapons and all of his accusations and all of his shame. Put it under your feet because Jesus crushed the head of the snake. You see, Christianity is like a great door. It's like a door. And if Christianity... Indeed, is a door that we walk through to get to God. You need to understand that that door is hanging on a hinge. And what is the hinge that the door of Christianity swings on, hangs on, holds on? It's the hinge of the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. But there is a resurrection. There is an empty tomb. And today there is a living Savior. And because of that, you and I have hope. He is the King who rolled the stone and crushed the snake. And He is the King who loves you, gave His life for you, and is here for you now. My prayer is that you will believe upon Him, place your hope in Him, and celebrate Him today. Thank you for joining us, and happy Easter and Resurrection Day to all of you.